We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle United one, Leeds United one. You've got myself, Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson, Norman Riley here to talk to you about what happened why it happened and what happens next. Before we start the show properly, quick word from me, you can find this show ad-free on our Patreon platform, £5.50 a month for about 20 to 30 extra Newcastle United podcasts from True Faith. So if you don't already, please get involved. And if you do, I'll, I'll be able to stop asking people about it, which I'd love to do. <laughs> Norman, you came up, you've come from London, you came to Newcastle United v Leeds. Um, where on earth does this leave us? We couldn't beat Southampton, we couldn't beat Burnley in the Cup, we couldn't beat Leeds. Who were going to beat, mate? Wow, that's a question. I think maybe the Norwich fan who responded to your tweet saying who we're going to beat with sent by sending a picture of um, is it Todd Campbell yeah. waving, saying hello. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe Norwich. It, it's starting to look a little bit desperate, right? I think the concern for me isn't necessarily about who who we're going to beat. Like, let's pick a team, or we might beat them. It's more the case that we're incapable of keeping clean sheets. Okay, Burnley in the League Cup. Accepted, but in the league, that's what five games now without a without a clean sheet, and it's not even just the fact we aren't keeping a clean sheet. It's also that other teams create monumental amount of chances against we. Um, that's my concern. To all intents and purposes, as an attacking unit, there's enough talent there to to get the goals to get with victories right. But now it is almost a case of the the the, the defensive aspect of the side has been neglected to the point where I, I genuinely feel that we will concede every single game. And the problem with that is it means that you've got to go out and score more goals yourself, right? And it's it's really, really worrying. I think um, there were certain aspects of the performance yesterday, as I said, the, you know, from an attacking perspective, that, that were okay. But defensively, in the centre of the park as well, the midfield, we just look absolutely, absolutely disorganised. And, and like every time the opposition attacks, you get that feeling of they'll create a chance, they'll create a chance. And, and that's a real concern for me. May as well get right into what happened. Um, some of the post-match analysis, and we were only talking the morning after the night before here. Norman's got his coffee there for those watching on YouTube. Sure. Keep me awake. Charlotte wishes she had a coffee. Um, and, and, and there's a little bit of narrative about, wow, that was a good game. That was an entertaining fixture to be at. That was a spectacle. Um, Steve Bruce says he enjoyed it. That's important. That's Steve. <laughs> Steve enjoyed it. It was like playing football in the playground. I am hypercritical of Steve Bruce. I'd rather that our manager after the game didn't say it was like watching playground football at times um, and we were just better. But but parking that for the moment, um, Charlotte, I'll bring you in. Do you think Leeds deserved to win? 
Yes, 100%. 100%. Leeds really um, should, like that first half, we were all over the place. Um, Leeds were just, just dribbling the ball to each other in midfield. There was, there was zero urgency from our players. Um, they really lacked anyone who could finish that that was it they had so many chances on goal not just in the first half but in loads in the second as well yes we were better in the second and I'm sure we'll talk about that but they had so so many chances and they just didn't have the power behind any of the shots so so Dara was able to scoop them up that's the only reason they weren't like four or five ahead of us I think they absolutely deserve to win that game I don't want to take away from the fact that we did play better in the second half it did we did have more of a structure and there was, you know, I don't know, can you say there was a bit more, a bit more agency, a bit more bite? I don't know. But yes, to me, Leeds absolutely deserve to win. Totally agree, Norman, in that context then. Where does this leave Bruce? Where does this leave us? Like, we've got Watford next week, massive game. We, we can't speculate, and we will speculate on the Watford preview this week about how that will go on Patreon. But just, like, how are you feeling about the whole thing? Having been there, having seen Bruce, having seen the stadium, having heard the chants which were constant and throughout, and not just a 1-0 down, by the way, either. You know, wh- where did Newcastle United go from here, mate? Interesting you mentioned the chance. I said pre-match that I don't think there'd be any negativity towards Bruce um, until we went a goal down, and that was disproven within about two minutes of kickoff. right? The, the chance just started immediately. That mm. is very indicative, of, I think, of where the wider fan base is at, uh, regardless of what pundits may see in the media, regardless of what certain fans might put out on social media, that indicated to me that the vast majority of Newcastle fans in the stadium want Steve Bruce out of the club. Um, and and it, it, to a certain extent, it did come as a bit of a shock that it was that intense and that, that immediate. But in terms of the, the reality of his tenure at Newcastle, I still am unconvinced that he'll, he'll be sacked by uh, Ashley, regardless of what happens at Watford. And after Watford, we've got an incredibly tough game against Wolves. So even even going to Watford and Watford's not a given, you know, the, the beat Villa on the first day of the season that have quite a, a sort of energetic crowd behind them because they'll be looking at Newcastle United and thinking we need the pointer. They, and so that the crowd alone might be up for it. You know, the manager at Watford has got a half decent record. So I don't want to get into preview territory here, but what I mean is, is it it's a game that we have to win, but at the same time it's going to be a really difficult game. And then immediately after that we've got Wolves, and if we're sort of what seven games in with three four points on the board, no victories. I mean. That to me, like objectively, would look untenable. But this is Mike Ashley's Newcastle United, and I don't think, regardless what happens between now and December, is going to have an impact on on his his role at the club. Maybe we get to the January transfer window and we're really struggling. I think rather than get rid of Bruce, he'll just go out and make some panic buys. That's that's genuinely a feeling. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think the thing to do is get rid of Bruce now, bring in a new manager, and then give that new manager the January transfer window money. But this is Newcastle United, and I make Ashley mate. It's it's not going to be like that, as far as I can see. Yeah, I just wanted to make the point as well that it's true that there were anti-Bruce and then towards the very end, anti-Ashley chants yesterday. And they were earlier than maybe you expected, but they and they were bursts of intensity, but they did die down quite quickly. I don't know. Alex, you and I were talking about it and we were expecting a much stronger much stronger anti-Bruce sentiment, but it, it kind of came in waves and it was definitely sort of led by the corner and it, and it took... You know, it it took a, you could hear it everywhere. You could hear it on the telly. You could hear it a whole around the whole stadium. But I don't know. It sort of it, it ebbed and flowed a little bit for me, rather than being like a really angry. I don't know if that's indicative of like people just being like, we do want him out, but also like, who can be asked? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, possibly. What, what I will say is um, I think maybe one of the reasons that the, the songs, the Auntie Bruce songs died down quickly was because, and uh, I mentioned this to obviously close close friends of True Faith, Jamie Carrigan and uh, Gary <laughs> um, yesterday, that um, that the players, the, the crowd will get behind the players. The, the, I think the majority of Newcastle fans still believe in those players. Yeah. Um, and, and you saw that yesterday, right? There was a there was great back, and I thought, I thought for, for the 11 on the pitch. So... The the, the going to go all down. The fact that we were playing poorly, I think you probably saw a crowd just thinking, they, subconsciously even, we need to bat these lads. We need to bat these lads. And and there was it did look like it'd be a bit of a visible lift um, on on the pitch during certain spells. So maybe the anti Bruce songs weren't as intense because the fans, as I say, were batting the players. But also, um, I think if we'd gone a second goal down, if it'd gone two nil, mm. I think it I, I think it would have just erupted. I really do. And um, Bruce again got. That that kind of little bit of good fortune that he seems to seems to carry at Newcastle and um, Leeds just didn't take that chances, so it almost it almost kind of negated the the, the the kind of anger in the crowd. Yeah, I think that you've you've both summed it up perfectly there. It's got to the situation where week after week and a little bit more negativity creeps in from the fan mm. base towards the manager. That that something like last night at the start of the season would have been if you'd have told us you'll be in the third home game of the season and there'll be fifty thousand people there. And for large parts of the game, the loudest songs of the night will come from all four corners of the ground, and they'll be wanting the manager to leave. That would have seemed quite surreal, that, certainly for me turning up in that first game against West Ham. But the fact that it's kind of crept in little by little. It wasn't McLaren um, got a little bit of that, but it was one game, almost, and it was so loud and it was so forceful. Whereas now it's loud and forceful, like you correctly say, because it was an end-to-end game as well, it was like, we want Brucey out, or... Oh, Come on, you know, yeah. St. Maximin's got the ball, Almiron's got the ball, we're going to back the players. And that, when we spoke to Carragher and Neville, and we will, we will do a, pay, a parent pod this week discussing our experience with that. Um, and we should have the full clip on True Faith YouTube channel as well, so subscribe to that if you don't already. Um, you made the point to them, as you've just said, that the, the players haven't lost the crowd. The manager's lost the crowd. Yes. The club's lost the crowd. The players haven't lost the crowd. And I almost feel a little bit like that has nothing to do with Bruce. And so in terms of his good fortune, it's very much a, a, a case to me that it hasn't turned as poisonous as it could. I agree with you that it would have if, if we'd gone 2-0 down or gone 2-1 down in the second half. Um, because there's, there's this loyalty from the, the fans to the players and also from the players to the fans. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about what happened during the game and, and tactically in part two of the show. Did you have a hand up there, Charlotte? Yes, just, just to kind of like... Piggyback on that very slightly, and, and I'll be quick. Um, that's why it's very annoying to me when pundits and 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 you know random idiots on Twitter will say, "Well, what what good do you think your anti Bruce chanting has on the like it, this negative sentiment has on the morale of the players? It's 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 you know it's bringing bringing the players down. Well, it's not because because you could see last night totally that we're behind the players. Spot absolutely spot on. And what I'll also say is. When you have people saying, "Well, if if it's you know it's Mike Ashley, if it's Bruce, then it'll just be another another Patsy or whatever," it, it's like, "No, no, the, right? The players that we've got, we, I, I believe, as a fan base in general, what from people who I know, what the kind of impression I get, I think there's a lot of belief in those players. Okay, there might be you know a lack of kind of talent throughout the squad. It might be it might be an imbalance, but I still think there's a lot of goodwill towards the players. There's a lot of belief. There's it's not like um under Pardew when, you know, players are being criticized or being lazy, not caring, not putting it in. I think those players are genuinely liked by the fans in general. And I think they enjoy playing for Newcastle United. So it's it's 
it's so obvious that if Steve Bruce is removed and a better manager comes in, and I'm not talking, you know, unemployed Antonio Conte. I'm talking like, you know, I'm talking someone like Chris Wilder and, and, and Eddie Howe, we've mentioned them before, and okay, they got relegated both in the last job in the Premier League, but we know, right, we know that they're capable of getting more of those players in Bruce, and, and I think that's the frustrating thing, is that there is that, that love that's there for the players, because it is, it's a genuine affection. It It's almost like... It's almost like we're told that nobody could do a better job than Bruce with that bunch of players because they're not good enough. And it's like, no, no, they're actually a really talented bunch and somebody else could do a better job. And that's the frustrating thing. Very much so. Okay, that was part one. We'll move on to part two after this message. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Part two of the True Faith podcast. Uh, let's talk tactics. Let's talk what happened in the game. We do these podcasts, and you have to have, I'm sure you'll both agree, people watching might not mind me saying this, you have to have some confidence in your opinion about Newcastle United and all things football if you're going to try and broadcast your opinion like we do. I don't think we're no particularly more than other fans, but I do feel like we do have an understanding, mainly because we attend so many games and we make an effort as True Faith to always have someone at every single game to talk to you people on these shows. And I don't want to turn into that kind of football fan who just thinks he knows better than the manager, okay? So when Chris Sutton says to me on Five Live, are you think you know better than Steve Bruce, do you? It is a good question because Steve Bruce has got a thousand games in football. He's been a manager in the 20, Premier League for 20 years. He trains with the players every day. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and however frustrated I get, you just feel there must, be, yeah, there must be things that we don't know about. There must be hidden problems. And, and with, the longer you go on watching Bruce's team... The harder it is to convince yourself of this. But there's a moment last night where just throw, I watched the match with Charlotte and um like I just wanted to burst into tears because we did the preview not, not because of me. Not because of you. <laughs> I can't even get the words out here. It's like we did the preview. Most of you who are who are listening to this will have hopefully listened to the it was a patron preview. We'll put it out for free uh, on Wednesday. We did the preview. And on that preview I said, surely cannot do what we did against the same opponent in January. Start the game with a back five, concede, play really badly, and then have to move to a back four because that would be ridiculous. That would be farcical. That would be how have we got ourselves in this situation again where the formation we've played all the pre-season, everyone says it doesn't work, all the Newcastle fans don't like it, we've not won any games, and then against the same opposition and the same manager with largely the same set of players from both sides... 
we're, we're going to have to like ditch the formation out of desperation midway through the first half. Yeah. It's like lightning cannot strike twice. Surely as a group of well-paid men and people in this football club can think, well, this is what happened against this opposition in January. This is what we've learned from it. This is why it won't happen again. And it happened again in the second half. And lo and behold, we're, we're, we're in performance improved 10 times yeah. moving to what, what could be considered a 4-2-3-1 at times or a 4-3-3. And, and people who've listened to this podcast for a long time probably sick of me moaning about our formation. Okay, Newcastle changing formation doesn't fix everything. It really doesn't. We saw that last season. Um, Bruce has done this since he's got here. He's veered from side to side, from formation to formation, catastrophe to catastrophe, with sweeping changes in playing personnel formation. It's just a batshit way to manage a football club at this level. No other football club and no other manager behaves like this. But it's happened again last night, Norman. I'll start with you, mate. Just get your take on, on things tactically. It's happened again. What a, what are we? How how should we analyze this? Because I just think this man does not know what he's doing. For them to have to make such a drastic change, and listen, I'm pleased he changed it. Changing things when things aren't going well, or, or what good managers do, it's what we praise Rafa Benitez for at times. But fucking hell, mate! Like, what? I'm speechless that he's done that. He's had to do that. That the the spend. You know, can you imagine you and your working week? You go to work. You 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 spend a lot of time in theory working at that training ground, talking tactics, thinking about how we're going to beat Leeds United. And 20 minutes in, you have to tear it up. Like, this is unprecedented stuff, mate. Not really is. I don't I don't think it goes as far as talking on the training ground about how we're going to beat Leeds United. I think it is a case of training is to get the players to a level of fitness. That means they can run about for 90 minutes. And putting them in a formation on the pitch is how you win. I don't think there's any... I think, that, I think it's, that is... That is the extent it goes to. I don't think it's, all right, so this is how Leeds United play. This is how we played against them last time. This wasn't successful. This was. This is what we're going to do this time. I don't I don't think that that has been thought. That hasn't, that, that, that thought hasn't occurred. It is literally a case of, right, lads, let's um, let's do a bit of pass and shoot. We'll play some corners and free kicks. Um, Gone for a big run. Get us on the gym. Do some weights. And they'll pick the team on Saturday. <laughs> and, 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 like, and look, that might be a simplification of it, but ultimately I, I saw Steve Bruce on the touchline last night. And at times he was doing his nut, right? He was doing his nut about telling players to get higher up the pitch and um, trying to get players to play in, in you know, a, a variety of uh, sort of positions on the field. And it looked to me like somebody who has all of a sudden just realised that the players aren't doing what he thinks they should be doing automatically. Um, it, it's like, all right, so you're frustrated right now on the sideline. What have you been doing during the week to ensure this doesn't happen? It's almost like he's just discovering for the first time these um, these issues. It's like, oh my, oh my God. Why? Why this? Why this so far back? This has been the case for months, and you're supposed to be working on, on these things. So I genuinely, I genuinely think his managerial style is training is, as I say, doing a bit of bit, bit, bit of kicking a ball around, doing a bit of running, and then we pick a formation, and then that, that's it. That's it. I think, I think he is possibly the most. I mean, not even possibly. He is the most tactically inept manager in the Premier League, and I'd say there are managers in the Championship and League One who are more tactically astute than Steve Bruce. I also. I agree with you totally, Norman. I think that's compounded by the fact that we can see as fans in every single press conference, every time Steve Bruce phones a radio show or, or goes in, he's a terrible communicator. He is terrible at communicating. He never says what he means. He never has the words. He he he, he fluffs his, his lines all the time. I, he can't communicate with this team either. He's not just a bad communicator verbally. He, he, he does... He, 
he, he physically can't communicate with this team. So he has this idea in his head, as Norman says, but, or like, oh, why aren't they playing further at the pitch? Like, But I, I, I would be hugely surprised if he's effectively communicated that to any of those any of those players because he he's not good at it. He doesn't he doesn't have that ability. So I think that's that's just occurred to me. Yeah, I think that's really, really good analysis. We are going to talk a little bit in part three about Bruce, the sideline, how he interacts with the players, the dynamics with the other coaching staff and all this kind of stuff. But to, to go back to the tactics briefly, um, it's Isaac Hayden starts at centre-back again, desp- despite the revelations <laughs> from Craig Hope that Isaac Hayden says to Bruce in a team meeting when Bruce was having a go at him for the second Man United goal at Old Trafford, which was a terrible defending. And uh, the famous last words that I'll always remember... Um, to be fair, I'm not a defender. <laughs> is what Hayden supposedly says to Bruce. <laughs> to, be fair. Bruce to Bruce then um, puts him back in at centre back for, for 20 minutes mm. and then moves Hayden into midfield. And I know it's one player, right? But fucking hell, the difference in Hayden. He looked good. He, he was mm-hmm. mobile. He was getting into players. Calvin Phillips, Norman, you said in the preview, we should try and sit on Calvin Phillips. Our approach to that game was was like almost treat Leeds for the first 20, like we're playing Manchester City yeah, at home. Spawn. It, it, yeah, that, Like, Bruce, you're playing a team who have got no fit centre-backs. I think Ailing had to play centre-back. Um, who, who are short on confidence, who haven't won a game, who are defensively suspect, and we decided to put no pressure on the ball. And this is, this is what it comes back to. Bruce, you know, I thought the atmosphere at the ground was excellent last night. And again, we'll talk about that more in part three. But it was a, it was a real football occasion. There was two great English teams, two great sets of supporters. And we went into that game thinking we'll give them all the ball and all the territory and all the shots. Like, how was that? How, how, how did they come to that conclusion? And, and, and maybe it's not supposed to look like that. But changing formation, there was a certain sense of irony to me that we're playing with them. Um, we ended up with a back four um, and Lascelles and Kieran Clark playing in front of Cardalo, um, which is the exact same middle of the pitch that we had in April 2017, mm-hmm. last time we played them home in front of fans. I think Norman, you probably said, there was probably not a single Leeds player left from that night. We don't know this, we're not Leeds fans, but there's probably not a single Leeds player left from that night when Gary Monk was their manager. Incredible for us to be in that situation, by the way. Gary Monk need a job at the minute. Let's get Gary Monk in. <laughs> um, but uh, I felt like I felt like Joe Linton playing the left of a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 came alive. Don't get us wrong. I mean, the miss. The miss. The miss in the first half. I'd forgotten about it so bad. Mm. Tried to suppress it. Like, you've, you've got to score that. But but just he just looked lively. And I, I am Joe Linton's biggest critic. People, Some people don't like it. The... What, do, what does someone call them? What does Chris Curry call them? Joe Disciples. The Disciples. <laughs> uh, people who love Joe Linton. Um, but but he did. He looked. He looked like he he fitted. It looked like he was playing a position. He understood. He was he was quick. He he was up and down the line. He was moving inside. It was still Joe Linton. There was still the same first poor touch. There was still the same lack of physicality falling down. But it was much much better. And I almost feel like fucking hell. When Bruce comes in and sees this lad playing training, does he not think a hundred games ago we should play four two three one to play to play to a forty million pound player's strength? Alternatively, the issue with that is in a four two three one, fucking Saint Maximan and Julian play the same position, two mm. best players. So Saint Maximan, who had another excellent game and was was our b- biggest threat, is is playing a centre forwards, which, despite his attributes and his his output from that position, I still think leads us. Two centre backs are quite comfortable. Mark mm. and Alan St. Maximan for long balls. I mean, St. Maximan fair play to him just doesn't even bother. He's just like, what am I supposed to do with that? I'm not jumping. I'm yeah. jumping. Um 
But I don't know, what, 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 what do either of you think in terms of, do you think it worked better? Do you think, did you, did you see an improvement with the formation change? Yeah, I, I I showed you a text from my dad at like midway through the second half. It was like, Joe Linton's just useless. And I, I mean, a fair amount of wine had probably been um, taken on. <laughs> but um, I think I think my dad was thinking, okay, Joe Linton's playing as this, this centre forward. He's, he's, he's playing in a striker position because that's sort of, where he has been playing but he wasn't he was he was wider it was it was it was so much better um i can't remember your question i just wanted to talk about Joe. That, that's all right Norman. <laughs> sorry it was and i'm going to use air quotes here even if people are just listening i'm using air quotes so much better <laughs> but the issue is is that it's only so much better within the window of mediocrity that we're used to right yeah. so okay Joe Lint went on the left and he, he came alive right you know um <laughs> But did he really? Like, you know, what, what was it? Was he just slightly better than mediocre? You know, because that, that's what happened, right? We changed the formation. We were slightly better than mediocre. But because slightly better than mediocre, what was so used to it being mediocre, it becomes good. It's good. It's the Brucey's window effect. It's the same know? with the result, isn't it? Yeah. Exact same exactly. as a final result. Exactly. Sorry, go on, Sean. It's, it's, it is, it's this recalibration of what's acceptable and what's good. Because maybe that's the tactic. Maybe the tactic is we'll start so poorly, then we'll make it a slight ta- tactical change midway through the first half. And then because that'll make it better, everyone will get onside. Spot on. And, and also, it's it's almost like a sort of moot point to to say, well, look, maybe he's learned. Maybe he looked at that formation and thought, oh, well, that worked better in the second half. It won't make any difference. Like mm. it, it's, it's much like the, the argument with the discussion we've just been having on how we played against Leeds last season and us thinking, well, surely, surely we're not going to play like that against Leeds again. We're not going to set up like that against Leeds again. It happened. All right, then it changed in the second half. We were better in the second half. Maybe you'll stick with that. Probably won't. It, it, not, it, not, there's, no, there's no kind of long-term thinking. There's no reflection. There is just this game and what I'm going to do in this game and what I'm going to do in this game is whatever pops into my head. That, that's genuinely what it feels and, like. And this, this is the issue, isn't it? Callum Wilson's not there. You know, there are rumours he could, He's out until the Spurs game in October. Bruce talks in his press conference is not like he's ready. Like he, it's just this game has just come too quickly for him. Probably hasn't spoke to him. <laughs> that seems to be how it works. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's the fear, isn't it? And the, I agree with you, Norman, that we can take or I can take some sort of positive from the second half, but it's not really a positive because we've played a poor Leeds team who look like they will definitely be a bottom ten side if potentially bottom relegation. We don't know. The season's still young. And we've got out with a draw, and I've got Newcastle fans on at me on Twitter for being negative that it's mm. a poor result. No, it's a poor, it's a poor result. When Bruce took over Newcastle, Bielsa took over at Leeds at the same time. Okay, same time. Leeds just finished twentieth in the championship. Bruce took over the eighth best defensive team in England, and was given a fortune to spend. And then you look at Leeds' goal last night. Look at the disorganisation. Mm. We're playing this back five. We've got three centre-backs and a wing-back. The wing-back, Matt Ritchie, is nowhere near Rafinha. He's nowhere near him. The, the entire game. The entire game. Rafinha had so much space. It's, sorry, the, 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 the straight, straight away, um, I was sat next to Mick Martin and I said, like, the, the space behind Ritchie, I mean, you're talking like a gulf of space on the pitch. Rafinha must have... They thought, what's this? It's like I'm. It's almost like he was. He was like in a in a back lane on a housing estate, booting a ball off a garage. He had like the whole. He had the whole sort of area to play with. It was ridiculous. And and so last season, you remember we said having Richie in the team, even though we might lose something defensively, is good because we need to score goals and he creates chances. Right towards the end of last season, when we're playing against teams whose seasons were basically over, that was fine. 
This season, however, four or five games in, every time Richie gets forward, the gulf and the space that is left is absolutely unbelievable. And what happens is after a while, when you keep playing a, a winger slash wide midfielder as a wing back slash fullback, you're going to get punished because Matt Ritchie at the age of 30 years old does not know how to play like a defender, i.e. like Isaac Hayden. So for whatever positives he may offer from an attacking sense, we're just going to get punished and punished and punished defensively. And we saw it last night with a goal. Yeah. Really poor, really poor goal to concede. But that most of the goals were conceded are really poor. Um, <laughs> we did have some chances. You know, Leeds are, Leeds are suspect defensively. This is the thing. Yes, we had some chances. That is the norm for a football team in a football match, particularly playing against a lesser a lesser light at home, like Leeds United are at the minute. Um, and, you know, uh, was it Richie hits the post? Uh, Drillinton misses a sitter. Uh, some maximum in the second half kind of snatches at one. Very, you know, peop- I think we were discussing last night um, with with some other lads that that's a maximum should have passed. But ultimately, he, he, great save from the keeper and could have easily gone in. But apart from that, Norman, just to finish this section off, surely, surely we can agree that the positions and chances Leeds got themselves in, particularly in the first half, the game should have been out of sight by half-time. 100%. Um, I think we said this last season, perhaps at the start when we, when we previewed the upcoming Premier League season, that Leeds United really are a, a, a world-class, or, you know, a, a very good striker away from being a, a team that bangs in loads of goals. Like They create chance after chance after chance. And the only thing that, that stopped us, I think, losing quite heavily last night was the fact that they just they don't have a real cutting edge. Um, that's... Not taking any way for, away, anything away from you know the, the, the positives that something like Bamford offers, but ultimately, if you put Callum Wilson in that Leeds team last night, they would have they would have popped four goals in. I don't doubt it. Yeah, and that's the context that I think we'll have to talk about this stuff. There's always this debate. I think it's more of an online debate than a real life debate. People people in the in the pub or when I'm talking to mates, we're not like you're being too negative. Take look at the positives. Why are you so negative all the time? No, people don't have those kind of conversations. You're more like this is what happened and why, and this is how I feel about it. And what happened last night is we played a poor team at home in a game I thought we had to win. I said that in the preview, we had to win that game. To have to have anything other than a serious relegation battle, which all everyone's almost just accepted. Like you said, the yeah. window has shifted. It's gone from, can Bruce actually progress this talented, reasonably talented, but limited in the other areas squad, and move them towards the top 10 to very much, I think most Newcastle fans would take 17th right now. And that's the concern about last night. It just, it just felt like, it felt like that was one of our better performances. But it probably was, it probably was our best performance of the season across the ninety. Even though aspects of it were very bad, you know, and we still couldn't win, and we still didn't deserve to win. That's that's the fear, and that's what reminds me of previous relegation battles and stuff like that. Um, but we'll move on to part three. We'll come back to uh, to the the stadium, the ground, the atmosphere, the match, and particularly Steve Bruce and Bielsa after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, part three. Last part of the podcast, Charlotte, you had a great view last night and you were particularly interested in watching the coaching staff, both ours and theirs, and Steve Bruce in particular. What did you make of him? Yeah, 
I did watch the match as well, but I, I, <laughs> I, we were we were quite close to the sort of dugout technical areas, and um, yeah, I just I was fascinated by Steve Bruce and Bielsa. I Steve Bruce constantly. Constantly out of his technical area, uh, at several points just standing on the pitch, <laughs> like talking to Matt Ritchie, literally standing on the pitch, um, fourth official sort of nudging, uh, nudging him and being like, "Get up, get get back in your area." Um, Bielsa, on the other hand, um, you know, barely left his like if 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 he did, he had he still had one foot on the line when he was doing his funny little crouch, and. I know it sounds like a really small and weird thing to have noticed, but I just think it shows the the discipline versus not the like chaos versus like plan, um, and and adherence. I, I, maybe I'm reaching, but I I think I think that it does show that. Additionally, you see Steve Bruce striding around like in and out of his technical area, running running his hands over his face several times, very theatrical, throwing his hands up in the air, um you know and 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 yeah okay fair enough because we weren't playing that well at several points like I felt like throwing my hands up in the air but um and 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 Bielsa's I don't know it just it just seemed like it seemed like there was was so much more structure there was so much more of a plan you said like uh, midway through the second half quite early on in the second half Bielsa made a change and Bielsa's making that change because it's not going the way he wants he's not winning the game and um, and then I said well, we won't make that cha- we won't make a change we immediately made a change, um, but it was a reaction though. I, I yes. felt it was like they've made a change, so we've got to make a change. There's no way in the fiftieth minute of a game, normally or the fifty fifth minute, whatever it was, that Bruce um, thinks, well, this isn't going well. I need to change something. It's like no, they have to make a tactical change. They have to make a sub. They have to score. Also, I think a one one is is not a bad result in in Bruce's head so yeah. so it, there there is no this isn't going the way I want it to because that it probably is fine for him yeah. so 100% control versus chaos is brilliant we have seen it by the way so Thank you. play on that <laughs> um the um when it was 1-1 yesterday when when we equalized start the second half there's a couple of ways I, I think um, Bruce might look at that right and again whether this is consciously or subconsciously who knows but Right, one. What can I do to win the game now? What I don't think that thought. And as he said, what can I do to win the game? I think it's let's just keep this going and see how it goes. We've equalised. This is all right. This is all right. This is all right. It's not like a right bang. We're in the ascendancy. We've just scored. I can I can affect something now. I can go out and get a win here. And and I also think so. There's the there's not thinking about that, but there's also I think the the risk of losing playing into it as well. It's like okay, things are all right at the minute. Let's just see. Let's just see if it stays okay. There's no there's no um there's no desire to. To kind of to to take the risk to go and win, it's more kind of fear of losing that is kind of keeping things the way they are. Whereas Bielsa thought, right, we've taken the lead, we've been dominant, they've equalised. I need to do something because I need to go and win this game. I don't I don't think that that mentality um, applies to to Bruce at all. There's there's uh, clips on social media of Jones v Bruce, Bruce v yes. Jones. What do you make of that, Charlotte? And can you describe it, in fact, for anyone who hasn't seen it? Sure. So there's there's two things. There's one I'll just track back because um, Graham Jones does not start the game in the dugout. We noticed this. Alex has noticed this several times. You probably noticed it watching t- on TV. Graham Jones only came down after 17 minutes, um, by which time I, I think Leeds had already scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and that's when he comes down and starts to sort of starts to sort of c- coach, I suppose. 
Um, I don't know if it's just for a view of the game to see how they're being set up. I don't know if it's for the for the sort of optics of Bruce wanting to start the game in charge. Maybe it's a mixture of everything. But he doesn't come down until then. And then after that, he's really vocal on the sideline. He's um, players are coming over, players are talking to him. That the clip that Alex is talking about on on social media that's making the rounds is. Um, Lascelles is being spoken to by Bruce, <laughs> but being spoken to by Bruce and Jones. Not funny, sorry. Um, and Bruce is trying to speak to him, and then Jones is just speaking over him. And Lascelles, to me, and maybe there's a bias in the way that I'm watching it. To me, it just looks like Lascelles is listening to jo- to Jones. Well, 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 Jones just takes Bruce stops trying yes, by the yeah. end of it. But it's you know people people quite rightly wonder what what is going on when your manager loses that kind of conversation. It's like the manager wants to make a point to Lascelles. Lascelles doesn't listen to him. Jones doesn't listen to him. And they end up talking to each other. This is a point that you made last night, Charlotte, I think, is that no one seems to listen to him. Like, not the no. coaching staff, not the players. I noticed at the end of the game on the footage, um, he kind of goes and does a weird backwards handshake to <laughs> Bielsa. Very strange angle coming at it from. Um, but... It, no one else goes up to him. None of the players go up to him. None of the coaching staff go up to him. He just looks alone. Cuts a lonely figure, doesn't he? Definitely cuts a lonely figure. I think, but I think that's something we've seen for a while. If you actually, if you look back, there've been occasions where he's just like walked on the touchline on his own after the game. Yeah. Don't know if you've noticed that. And I think, I, I, I think the players probably have a, quite a lot of respect for Jones, right? You know, he's gone away with the England squad. He's worked well, with Dwight Gale. Not, not, not quite Gale. Not, no. not Dwight Gale. Not no, Gale. No, <laughs> I also I also think that Gailey air quotes is um is uh, probably you know sick to the back teeth of being um offered a new contract and put on the bench and like, absolutely not getting not getting a game at all. Um so despite I, Newcastle needing a goal in every uh, single game they've played so far. hundred percent. Um but I think I think Bruce there's 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 definitely it looks to me like there's a disconnect. Now normally when there's a disconnect between the players and the manager, right? The players more or less down tools, right? But again, this this goes back to what I was saying about how I think the players genuinely care. Is that the still grafting right? We saw last night from an attack perspective. That wasn't that attacking wasn't coached attacking. That was just those players taking the game by the scruff of their neck and going for it. And, exactly what you said. And and, and, and I think and, and I think again that that's so so that I think there's a huge disconnect between the players and Bruce. But I think because the players genuinely care, it's it's actually masking over it. And it's only when you see Bruce at the end of the game on his own, which we've seen on a regular basis, as I say, that you kind of get an insight into probably what it's like around the club in general. He's probably Cutting, he probably cuts an isolated figure because they're probably kind of ostracised. The players are probably ostracising him. Whether, as I say, not necessarily intentionally, it's probably just happening because they're like, well, what, what we're getting from this? To finish this bit off, the fact that great Graham Jones clearly, I think, plans to spend the first half, at least, in the, isol- uh, the elevated view and it's almost like just think of the optics and how it must feel. So before Bruce um, Jones, apologies, before Jones comes down, mm. it's Clements who's on the sideline. It's Clements who's speaking to Bruce about tactics. It's Clements who's speaking to the players. Jones comes down and Clements is back in his seat mm. for most of the rest of the game. Well, it doesn't seem to me like a particularly healthy relationship. But even to criticize Jones, like. <laughs> it's not working, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you being up there and then having to consistently come down at the start of games and take over. Something's not right. This is a, this is a dysfunctional football club at every single level, from the formations we play to the coaching setup to the player relationships and training with you know fights in the training ground. Um, 
the the mole, the leaks, <laughs> the, the the whole thing is just dysfunctional, and I fear, I really fear for. The, I'm not going to apologise for being negative because all I can do is analyse what these these other people do. It's not being negative. Yeah. It's not being negative. This is this this constant, and again, it's social media. So, what, what proportion of the general populace it reflect who knows really? Yeah, but there's a difference between being intentionally negative and then just reporting what you're seeing in front of you. Mm. And you can't dress up what we saw yesterday, right? Well, have, there are positives, as we said, the attacking perspective by talented players. That's positive. The fact that the players haven't done tools. That's positive. But ultimately, the performance itself was just yet another performance that was, wasn't was good enough. Another performance that wasn't good enough. And you cannot dress that up any other way. It was another performance that wasn't good enough. Very quickly, Charlotte, Marcelo Bielsa, what did you make of him? I like that he dresses um, like I would for bed <laughs> um, if I knew no one was going to be in my bed. Um, <laughs> just, Other than yourself. Just got the biggest T-shirt on I've ever seen. It was swamping the man. Um, what did I make of him? That is one of the things. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him. I, I think he's, you know, I've, I've, I like characters. So, and he's a character. And I've known that since he's been, you know, managing Leeds. Um, I didn't know much about him before that. I think he's constantly analysing the game. He's got one of the th- most athletic squads on in the in the Premier League. I think he's a really interesting and and sort of forward thinking manager. I think if he had strikers, if he had a full, fully fit defence, we would yeah. have been in huge trouble last night. But um, what did I make of him? Yeah, I just I thought he was a very interesting person to watch. Spot on. He's a, I think he's a he's a real gift to the Premier League to have someone of that. That calibre, but also that that personality, it's just, it's just wonderful to see, right? But with Bielsa, and this, I think, very much happened with us under the previous manager. They haven't won a game this season, right? But those fans will not, they won't be worried. They won't be worried because they know that he will turn it around. That, that They'll know that this man knows what he's doing. This man's going to learn from what how Leeds played against Newcastle, where they went wrong, what they did right. And they'll build on that. And, and that's kind of a way, as I say, we felt under, under the previous manager, whereas under the current regime... Mm. I think we are probably pressing the panic buttons, and, and rightfully so. That's well, the thing, isn't it? Sorry, no. I was also going to say, under that T-shirt, I reckon he's, I bet he's dead hench. Absolutely <laughs> ripped like a tank. That's what I he's going to run. I am not convinced of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was going to say that when they write Bielsa's obituary, in, in de- right. decades to come, <laughs> when they look back, they want to they 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 add a special entry that he managed to make a Newcastle United game under Steve Bruce interesting. Yeah. Quote, unquote, good game, according to Steve like Bruce. Like a primary school game? Yeah, a like lot a, of people enjoyed it. A lot of people enjoyed it, and it's like, of all of his achievements of his great life and great career, that's probably up there. They still had 65% possession. Um, they still yes. had 22 shots on goal and nine shots on target, and they still probably should have scored four goals, but we got out of it with a 1-1 draw. Norman, we'll have to finish the show, but I do know that you will combust if I don't say to you say to you what did you make of um steve bruce's patter pre-game particular uh you were very unhappy about it i'm going to start off by telling the listeners i think it was uh was it jamie carragher uh close friend of me and norman um <laughs> who asked him what, what did he ask him again i've forgotten but it was you weren't happy with the question or the answer it, it was post-match and the question was um don't you just feel like this isn't worth it anymore something along those lines which no other manager's going to get manager's going to get asked right or is it worth the hassle? Or is it worth the is hassle? Is it worth yeah, the hassle? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's, it's bringing it down. It's bringing it down to the personal. It's it's not like, it's not like um, what can you do to make Newcastle United better? It's how is this affecting you, Steve? <laughs> um, 
and that that just that's indicative of the kind of you know the the, the friendships that certain pundits have with certain managers, right? Um, and Bruce's answer again, it was a lot. There was quite a lot of gobbledygook in there, right? I mean, there's a lot <laughs> that was just like words, word soup. Um, but he did say, um, he said, it's tough, yeah. It always has been. So it's the manager of Newcastle United Football Club, current manager, is reinforcing the media constructed narrative of Newcastle United being. You know, air quotes again, third time, basket case club. It, it's it's it, the, the actual manager of the club is is reinforcing this false narrative. And it is, I'm so sick and tired of hearing Steve Bruce say how tough the Newcastle job is. It's like, mate, you're the one doing it. It's tough because you aren't doing it properly. It's absolutely infuriating. And the worst thing is, he's not even challenged on it. by He's not challenging it by Carragher Neville. They're not saying, what do, you, what do you really mean by it's always tough? What are you yeah. talking about? And it's, it's, it's deeply frustrating. The question itself is indicative, isn't it? Like, like you've just correctly said, it's personal. Do you need the hassle? It's, that's offensive. That's offensive to me mm-hmm. um, as a football fan. Do I need the hassle of going to Wolves in two weeks to watch his team play? Do I need the hassle of paying how much for a season ticket? Do I need the hassle? And this applies to every fan, of course. Do we need the hassle for the kind of emotional energy that we invest in Steve Bruce's football teams? Like, Steve Bruce gets paid to do this. Yeah, He gets paid... What they should have asked him is, and I believe Carragher, think, I think he called um, on air, he called Craig Hope's article a disgrace. I disagree. We've only, we've only been best friends for five minutes. We've already fallen out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't like him anymore? Yeah. but um, No, it's okay. You can agree to disagree. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's like, what, what do we know about Steve Bruce? Well, we know despite a six-week break in the summer, he went on holiday during the international break. We know that his team, after he went on a holiday, after he said he sought with the defence, were, in his words, uh, defensively poor at Old Trafford. Uh, we know that the players believe that training exists to suit Steve Bruce's gentle lifestyle. We know that training starts at a later time than most players are used to at the, at the top level. All of those things would have been fascinating to get answers from. That is an interview. That is what, what you know, Sky, um, Carragher, the whole thing, multi-billion pound industry. And it's reduced to, um, how is Steve, can you be asked with this? It's like, can you be asked with them? Uh, mm-hmm. We can't be asked with you, and we're making that clear. And then Steve Bruce, after his post-match quotes to whoever, said um, about the, the chance, the most important thing is to keep your dignity. And it's actually you treat other professionals in your in your game, in terms of journalists and, and fans and people like that, with contempt. You treat them with contempt. And from to say last week, and we've, we've talked about it before, but we'll, t- we'll say it again. From to say last week that fans have an issue with how his teams perform because of coverage in the, the evening chronicle that's not a man who's in touch of in touch with reality for me and it's a man who people said this about him after the game again he looked alone he looked ashen faced he looked like yeah. a man who thinks how can i get this team to win a game of football watford we could beat watford we could lose we'll be here to talk about it we'll have peace we could draw we could have, draw could yeah draw. those are the options um and we'll have a draw don't we End to end stuff. A new win, a draws a new win. Much like last <laughs> we season, won, we won one one. Yeah, uh, a defeat last season against Crystal Palace and Leeds when you wins. That yeah. was the new win, and this season the draw is the new win. So yeah, we'll be back. We have Pete Davy at Watford Forest, so we'll talk to him. Uh, Charlotte and Norman, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure's been all mine, and I'm sure for the listener. Um, if you're not already, consider joining us on Patreon, five pound fifty a month. Lots more of these podcasts with me, Charlotte Norman, and lots of other Newcastle fans to talk about this kind of thing uh thanks very much for listening speak to you all very soon bye-bye this is the story of the one 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.